0: As you can see on your handout, today we're going to be talking about a subject that is rather um, unknown, I guess. I personally, I've been under many, 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 many proclamations of the Word, many sermons, but I can't remember a single time hearing a sermon about fasting. Not a single one sticks out in my head. I'm Sure, I probably heard one at some point, but I don't remember. (laughs) It's just not something that is often taught. And there are some reasons for that. Um, Then really, in Matthew chapter 6, where we are picking up in the Sermon on the Mount, um, this is really one of the only times where it's really taught about. In Scripture, you see it happening all the time. But there's not really a whole lot of times in Scripture that it's actually The subject matter of a sermon or a proclamation or a rebuke. Sometimes, very few times in Scripture it is, but this is one of the very few times where somebody actually teaches about fasting. And lo and behold, Jesus is teaching us about fasting here in Matthew chapter 6 and starting in verse 16. And I'm just going to read the passage really quickly. And then we'll get into this. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, with a sound sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father, who is in the secret place, and your father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. This is the last of three pieces of material that Jesus is teaching about in reference to the secret place. The first being our acts of charity. The second being prayer. And this third one being fasting. And I would like to call this the secret place of pursuit. And before we get into what Jesus was really trying to get at, which may be apparent to you as we've been teaching on it and for the last for this this being the third week that we should not be performing our religious duty in order to be seen by people as the hypocrites do but first I do feel compelled to teach what is biblical fasting throughout the old testament fasting was just a normal part of everyday life but today it's an element of the body of Christ that has been lost to our American religious society, you could call it. It's been common throughout all of history, not even in the Old Testament. And I think that it's been lost partly because of a lack of teaching, secondarily because of a lack of interest. I mean, when you think of the word fasting, some of you know it from a dietary perspective, where, okay, you just don't eat. (laughs) You just stop eating. How many of you are interested and going a long period of time with just not eating or drinking. It's just not something that's of interest to our, common, our modern society. But we'll see in scripture that it was pretty normal for those who were following God. There was one time in the Old Testament that the people were required by God to fast. And that was on the Day of Atonement. The whole nation was required by the Law of Moses to fast. And if you read through any, any of, almost any of the Old Testament books, you find fasting happening pretty regularly. And under a variety of circumstances. Historically, devout Jews would dedicate two days of the week to fasting. Two days of every week, the devout Jews would fast. It wasn't in the law that they, would do, that they had to fast two days a week, but they did it. It was part of their life for those who were devout. Today, you only really hear about fasting occurring regularly in the Catholic Church or within the Muslim religion or other Middle Eastern or Eastern religions. In the Catholic Church, you have the fasts during Lent, which is right before Easter, and Advent, which is right before Christmas, with mandatory fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Which both of which occurred during Lent. But the Reformed tradition, to which we more or less hold, it kind of came out of Catholicism, and perhaps part of the reason why the Reformed tradition doesn't really observe fasting is because it just smells too much like Catholicism. We don't want to fast because that's what the Catholics do. So we're going to abandon it altogether. We're not going to talk about it, we're not going to teach about it, because that's what they do. That's a, that's a staple of their religion so perhaps we've lost it because of that and in many of us we don't do it because we don't want it to turn into something compulsory if you require people to fast well then it becomes compulsory right it's no longer something that's done from sincerity just like how we're supposed to give happily rather than under compulsion but yet we still have a tradition of passing the plate every single sunday You know, traditions can serve what is good. And that really comes down to a matter of personal heart before God. Traditions do not kill goodwill and love. They can aid it if we let them. And I'm not going to stand up here for this entire period and talk about how we need to establish a tradition of fasting. That's not the purpose here. Because the Bible doesn't even command a tradition of fasting other than the fasting for the Jews on the Day of Atonement, which is a day that we are no longer needing to observe. So we're left without any required traditions of fasting within our, our uh, New Testament beliefs. But we'll be discussing, is it something that we should therefore abandon? Or is it something that we should participate in? Because if we should well, then God help us for not doing it for our entire lives. (laughs) If it's not something that we should do, well, then we should probably know about that too. So that we can be equipped to address it when it comes up. I'm going to be unfolding during this hour, hopefully less than an hour, um, why I believe fasting should have at least a voluntary place in our lives. If not, a pseudo-traditional place. Not necessarily mandatory from a church, but perhaps it would do us well to have a personal tradition where we fast. And I'm going to be showing from Scripture why I believe that this is the stance Christians should take, that it should at least have some part in our lives. But to start, we must first talk about what it is and what it's not. Fasting, to most of us, is just defined as we're not eating not eating food or drinking particular beverages. But if we just leave it at that, we simply become dietitians. And even worse, we can become mystics. Dietitians because we simply refer to fasting as a dietary practice. And it's recommended by dietitians for the sake of your health to fast every so often. And we can become mystics because we can believe falsely that the simple, fat, the simple act of not eating somehow produces spiritual enlightenment. Which is also not the way we should be perceiving fasting. Because that's nowhere in scripture do we see. If you do this, you will be enlightened. No, truly seeing God for who He is, is a vision that comes from God. It does not come from the activity of mankind. So what exactly is biblical fasting? And in short, you... As I've mentioned, we could title this sermon by this assertion according to where this discussion falls in the Sermon on the Mount. Biblical fasting is the secret place of deep devotion or concern. Let me say that again. Biblical fasting is the secret place of deep devotion or concern. And let's lay some groundwork for this claim. We're going to take a a walk through Scripture today. We're going to look at several different places in Scripture where fasting occurred. Why people were doing it. What they were doing during their fast. And hopefully as we take a journey through Scriptures, we will be able to build an understanding of what and why, and how, and who, Concerning, concerning fasting. And you have a handout here. This kind of is a cheat sheet of the things that we're going to be walking through. If you'd like to write down the scripture references that I'll be talking about, feel free to do so. But we'll be talking through many different reasons and under many different circumstances where fasting occurred in the scriptures. In Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 to 3, you can feel free to turn here if you'd like. I'm just going to start reading through these because there's several passages that we're going to be looking at. Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 to 3, we read, "...in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict." And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. We see, and then after this, he goes on to talk about this vision that he had from God. And this vision was disturbing. It showed affliction and destruction. And because of this vision that he had that disturbed him, he was mourning. And in his mourning it says that he mourned for three weeks and during those three weeks he didn't eat any delicacies. Okay, He didn't eat any sweets or savory things. He didn't eat any meat. He didn't drink any wine. In the sense... As far as food is concerned, he didn't take in anything that was pleasing. He didn't take in any comfort foods. He didn't. He deliberately abstained from anything that he enjoyed to eating and drinking. He says, "No, no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth." And then he said he didn't anoint himself at all. He didn't really even pretty up. I mean, he was in the office of the, He was an officer of the king. He was supposed to look nice. he was supposed to look put together, but during those three weeks he would not he wasn't taking care of his skin, he wasn't taking part in these extravagancies of, of hygiene, perhaps you could call it. And he did this for three weeks. So he was mourning. he was disturbed, he was distressed about a vision that he'd received from God so. He deliberately kept himself from anything that his senses would enjoy. Particularly concerning food. And he did this because he was mourning. We can see here that fasting was done voluntarily because of Daniel's deep concern. Because of the revelation that he had received from God. Have you ever learned something from the Lord that just laid you out? Deep, utter conviction. This new knowledge as you're perhaps listening to a sermon or reading scriptures or praying, and the Lord just reveals something to you that lays you out, that puts you in a season of distress and of mourning. Well, this is why Daniel fasted. He didn't lose anybody that he loved particularly. But he had received knowledge from the Lord that was disturbing. It was true. It's not that the Lord was disturbing, but the truth of what was about to happen was disturbing. It was discouraging, disheartening. So he fasted, not by law, but voluntarily. And we see again in concerning mourning, Psalm chapter thirty-five, verses twelve to fourteen. The psalmist writes, Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments for his mother. I bowed down in mourning. So here in this passage, he's talking about his enemies, his enemies hate him. They want to see evil for him. But when the enemies are in trouble, when his enemies are in trouble, David, or whoever the psalmist was, I think this is an unnamed psalm, if I'm remembering correctly, he's fasting for them. He is deliberately putting himself in a time of mourning for these people who are in need or when they were sick. He says he prayed with his head bowed down he went about as though he grieved for my friend or my brother or as one who laments for his mother somebody who's in need somebody who's distressed somebody who's in pain or sick or perhaps they are they are lost so mourning here is occurring because of the affliction that somebody is going through and we mourn for them and we this is one thing that americans are really bad at mourning When we mourn, we do the opposite of what the psalmist or what Daniel was doing. We eat the comfort foods. We binge watch TV shows on Netflix. We surround ourselves with comforts. We turn on the music. We try to please ourselves to try to push out the mourning. We don't let ourselves mourn. We try to not think about it. We try to distract ourselves. We don't want to mourn. Mourning feels bad. Mourning feels wrong. I shouldn't mourn. And we're bad at that. I'm bad at that. David and Daniel, they both, when they were mourning, they chose to let mourning have its work. In fact, they kind of pushed it on through fasting. If the sickness or the whatever the troubling situation was wasn't bad enough they wanted to know the mourning of it they wanted to treat it as serious and they did it through afflicting themselves with mourning and you can see that he's calling it i afflicted myself with fasting so that they could know the mourning so they could let it take its course to remove anything from myself that would keep the mourning from taking its course Not trying to push it away, not trying to overwhelm it with nice things, with delicious things, with beautiful things. No, with fasting, they were letting themselves mourn. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, it says, And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here we see more mourning happening along with fasting. But this mourning is for the sake of persecution, for the sake of brothers and sisters in Christ who are being destroyed by the wicked. And we know we have persecuted brothers throughout the world and sisters. You know, Pastor Brunson, we prayed for him, but did we fast for him? I didn't fast for him. Perhaps that's a shame on me. But we know others who are being persecuted. And November 4th is the Voice of the Martyrs uh, National Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Christians. And I think that we as a church should participate in that where we pray we dedicate some the the day to praying for these persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ who are enduring hardships that we cannot even imagine if their hardships came to this to our United States our churches would be far smaller than they are today as those who are not truly devoted to Christ flee because they don't want the pain but in fasting in a way, we enter into the pain of, the, of those who are being persecuted. And we mourn along with them, showing our devotion to them, our oneness with them in their, in their pain and in their mourning. We do this by, as the psalmist said, afflicting ourselves so that we can enter into their mourning with them. And we do this through fasting, and praying before the God of heaven, just as Nehemiah did. And we'll see throughout the rest of the sermon too, praying is often, is very much always concern, is always there along with fasting. In fasting, we remove from ourselves the niceties of the world, particularly concerning food and think the necessities that we would consider. Um, always, you know, we are always participating in eating and drinking. We eat three times a day plus snacks and whatever else. <laughs> But yet we, when we remove that from us, it's the constant reminder, the hunger is the constant reminder that I'm devoting myself to God and to whatever the reason I am fasting for. Because we're always going to be hungry while we're fasting. So we're always going to have the reminder of what's going on. In Leviticus chapter 16, we see another reason fasting was done. In verses 19 through 34, it says, And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever to you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, this is that day of atonement that I had mentioned, and throughout the history of Israel, they applied this passage to both the afflicting themselves at, you know, it is mentioned here, in doing no work, and they also attributed this to literal fasting of food, because that's how they practiced this on the day of atonement. They would do no work, they would not eat or drink on this day because of their sin, because of the atonement. That needed to be made for their sin. So here we see two things being part of fasting. Food. And we see fasting also being work. Fasting from laboring with our own hands. Some of us we love to get to work. We love to achieve. We love to accomplish. We love to do. And on this day. And any Sabbath. God is calling you to not be a doer. To not be an achiever, to not take care of your responsibilities, but to devote it to the Lord who takes care of you. And particularly on this day, it was for the Lord being taking care of their sin problem. This day where the whole nation observes the, the sins of the nation and they fast and they mourn because of their depravity. not because of a sickness or an illness but because they they have sin that they need to deal with before God and it's a grievous thing many sacrifices much blood is shed from bulls and and sheep on this day while they are fasting for the sake of their sin and in Luke chapter 4 we'll see another reason for fasting Verses 1 to 2, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And in this, we we preached on this several weeks back when we had our own, in Matthew, our own passage about Jesus wandering in the wilderness and how Jesus did this, being led by the Spirit as a time of... Devotion to the next three years of his ministry there on the earth for which he would be atoning, sacrificing himself, giving himself for the sake of our sins. But here during this fast for 40 days, he just like Moses, when he went up to receive the law, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus is taking time to fast for 40 days and 40 nights to devote himself to the will of God. So here we see Jesus, through fasting, being led by the Holy Spirit, doing so in consecration of himself for the will of God. To the will of God. And that's a weird thing to think about. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus Christ. Why would he need to do that? His very nature is consecrated and devoted unto God. My point exactly. Of all people who didn't need to do that, he still did it to consecrate himself to God. Through fasting, there are many ways that we can consecrate ourselves to God. We do it through prayer, we fall on our knees, and we say, God, have me. But here, Jesus fasts and spends the time in prayer as well. But we see the fasting coming alongside of his consecration of himself. In Acts 13, verses 1 to 3, we see another reason Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So we see here that fasting was done in seeking of the Lord's guidance and in the ordination of ministers into the ministry. This is the church, you see. This is no longer Old Testament law or Old Testament practice. This is the church. And they are using fasting to seek the Lord's guidance and His direction. They are using fasting as they send out ministers into the mission field. In a sense, consecrating them as Jesus Christ consecrated himself through fasting. We, are, we consecrate ministers through fasting and prayer, offering them up to the service of the Lord. We seek the Lord's guidance through fasting and prayer, trying to seek his will to be done in this certain situation. And we saw this done by the early church as they consecrated Barnabas and Saul for the mission field. 1 Corinthians 7.5 says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now this is a weird passage to talk about with fasting. This fasting has nothing to do with food. This fasting has to do with your intimacy with your spouse. You keep yourself from personal intimacy together, Why? Because you want to devote yourself to prayer. You don't want to be distracted during this time of prayer. There are times where we just, we know we need to just devote ourselves to prayer. We need to be fellowshipping with God. We need intimacy with God to be our primary concern. So, Paul is telling these people, during those times where you just need to be intimately involved in a relationship with God, fast from your intimacy with other people with particularly your spouse in this passage so that you're not distracted from what needs to happen between you and the Lord so fast from your sexual relations with your spouse put it aside resist it so that you are not distracted because you need to be with the Lord and this is it's really a the same concept of fasting from food because you're fasting and essentially from your appetites. your appetites saying, you want you need this, you want this. And we deny it. And when we do not deny ourselves, we are essentially practical Freudians, right? Sigmund Freud, the one who said, If you want, if humanity is the best and the happiest when they give in to their passions, when they give in to their appetites, those appetites are there so that man can be fulfilled. So give in to them because they're there to help you. And we would say, no, that's wrong. But practically speaking, we're Freudians. Just perhaps not with the sexual behavior that Freud was projecting, But with everything else, with our food, with our entertainment, and with a plethora of other things that we're constantly trying to satisfy ourselves with, we are practical Freudians when we refuse to fast, because we don't want to. We don't want to restrain our appetites. That doesn't sound like fun. We're practical Freudians. And Paul is saying, "No, there are times where you particularly need to devote yourself to the Lord in prayer, and when during those times you must reject the appetites for intimacy with your spouse, and in other ways we've seen with food, with delicacies, with even even to the point that you're no longer worried about how you look. You're not taking care of your face, your skin, your hair, because you're fasting. You're devoting yourself to the Lord." Mark 9, 29 says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. So here there was a a possessed person, and the disciples were trying to to, um, pull the demon out. They couldn't. And they come to Jesus, and, and Jesus casts the demon out, and The the disciples, they ask him, "Why? why couldn't we do it? And you can see they did it privately because they didn't want to be embarrassed in public. Why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said to them, this kind, in these situations, they cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. So we see here that fasting with prayer, we do it to receive God's power to act. To receive the Lord's power. To accomplish something for his kingdom's sake. Jesus is saying it himself. This is not something made up. I mean, Jesus himself said it. This cannot be driven out by anything but the Son of God. No, he said prayer and fasting. Yeah, we rely on God's power. In prayer and fasting and constantly devoting yourselves to the Lord, this brings you in a place where you can receive the power of God to act as the Lord would have you to act. And we can see the disciples were not fasting and praying. Otherwise, the Lord would not have said this. They would have said, but Lord, we have been fasting and praying. But Jesus, he said it. Since he said it, we know that Jesus himself regularly fasted and prayed. Otherwise, he would have just said, no, it's okay, guys, I got this. You just need the Son of God for this one. He wouldn't have said anything about prayer and fasting. But he says something about prayer and fasting in relation to being able to work in particular regards for the sake of God's kingdom. Doing something in the power of God rather than the strength of man. And we go about our daily business with the strength of man, just doing what we can do. You know, I can't do that. It's it's in God's hands. Well, maybe God wants it to be Maybe God wants to put His hands in your hands. It's just, we're not regularly praying and fasting. I mean, this is the New Testament, like I said. This is Jesus telling us, the founder of our church, upon which all things are built. He's telling us there are some things that you can't do unless you're praying and fasting. Luke, chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel and the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him, to all who are waiting for the redemption of, it, of Jerusalem. So we see a woman, Anna, who's been living in the temple, making fasting a regular part of her day. Obviously, she would have to eat and drink to survive. But she was regularly worshiping and praying in the temple, and constantly you could find her fasting because she was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. She was waiting for God to show up and redeem Israel from their enemies. Just like Moses, God used Moses to redeem Israel from Egypt. And here they are again, still having lost the glory of Israel because of their sin. And Anna has been living, worshipping, praying in the temple for years, decades. Waiting for the redemption of Israel. And only when she saw Jesus, the baby Jesus, born, did she rise with excitement, with a smile, giving thanks. It doesn't say that she went out and had a feast at that point. But you can see here, the fulfillment of everything that she had been longing for is now, is now satisfied in Jesus Christ. So now she rises and she gives thanks and she's just running around telling everybody that redemption has come. So we see that Anna, she was, when she was fasting, she was fasting because she was waiting and seeking for God to redeem and restore His people. She was longing to see God redeem the people, to restore the nation so she fasted and she prayed because of what she was waiting for god to do for the people around her to redeem them to restore them into a relationship with him to the glory of his name and she longed for that and so she fasted for it regularly worshiping and prayer and we can and we see that jesus did come with redemption but we also see this a little bit closer to home in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then... They will fast in that day. So we see that the disciples, they were kind of like Anna. They didn't need to fast because Jesus was right there. The Redeemer was right there, coming to do the will of God, being the center of many prophecies of old. So they didn't need to fast. The Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist, they were still looking for the Messiah to come. But the disciples had the Messiah, so they didn't need to fast. There was nothing to fast for concerning the the, uh, uh, redemption and the restoration of Israel. He was right there. The Redeemer and the Restorer was right there with them. But then he says at the end of that, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And they're going to fast in that day. Do we have Jesus among us? Is the world restored? Is everything redeemed? Has God renewed the world as he said he would? Not yet. Not yet. The Redeemer has come. We have Jesus and in that we rejoice. But yet now there is room for fasting. Why? Because we too are looking for the fullness of God's will to come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for that day when the Lord will return and establish his eternal kingdom. And until that day we fast in a similar way that Anna was fasting or the disciples of John the Baptist, or the disciples of the Pharisees, because they were looking for the reconciliation of the nation. And we are still waiting for the reconciliation of the world, the renewal of God's creation. We are still longing for that. And Jesus says, we're going to fast in that day when Jesus is no longer here, and we are looking for the future that he has purposed for this world. Jesus is saying in that day, The disciples will fast. You and I are those disciples. And he is prescribing fasting as we long for that coming kingdom. So the question is which I think, from my perception, I think my perception has been made obvious today should we fast today? And my questions to you are do we still have times of intense mourning? Are God's people still persecuted and distressed? Do we still struggle with sin? Do you want to do God's will? Do you ever want God's guidance? Do we still need to send people into the ministry? Are you ever compelled to times of deep, devoted prayer? Do you need God's power to accomplish something? Do you want God to redeem and restore the world? Do you long for the heavenly kingdom? I mean even if we could say no to one of these, you could have semi-compelling evidence for not fasting. But if we say no to any of these, we would have to be we would have to conclude that there's something wrong with our heart. There's some more learning that needs to be happening. Some more growing that needs to be happening. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is something that I have to grow in too. Because I am compelled, I am convinced that fasting is for today. I've fasted before, but not, not intensely, not in a way that would show any particular difference in my devotion to God concerning fasting. I need to do this more. And in studying for this passage, I was convicted greatly. Because it hasn't been something that's really been part of my routine, as you could say. It's not something that my mind has really allowed. Like, oh, what's the point? What's the point of this? I've asked these questions too. Because the question also remains, does it still remain voluntary? Do we see in the scripture that thou shalt fast? And if thou, shalt, thou dost not fast, then you, rely, you lie in sin. It does, the Bible doesn't talk like that about fasting. So does fasting remain voluntary? Yes, it remains voluntary. It is not something that there is some law that you're breaking if you're not fasting on the certain day of the month, the certain time of the year. But is fasting obsolete because of modern society? No, we've we've evolved past the need for fasting in our religious endeavors. No. It's not obsolete just because we have all sorts of books and prayer journals and apps that we can sustain our spiritual life with and seek the power of God. We've evolved past that in our churchiness. No, that's not the truth. Depriving oneself for a time is still affliction. Affliction still accompanies deep devotion and concern. I mean, how many of you have ever had a pet? a dog or a cat, that if you leave, that animal won't eat <laughs> until you come back. I've, ha- I've known people with animals who, if they're gone for a few days, that, that animal almost died because it would not eat, because you were gone. <laughs> animals will fast because they're mourning, <laughs> but we will not fast. Affliction still accompanies deep devotion and concern when we cast off a normal routine and even a necessary part of our daily life eating, you can't go that long without eating before you have serious complications with your health and some of us more than others some people have different things going on where you have to have a cer- keep up a certain diet otherwise you are going to be miserable and because of this fasting is no longer an option in our minds but it's still true that this action of fasting still communicates to your soul that our that your pursuit is deep, important, and a vital concern, more valuable than what it is that I'm giving up. And as we've talked about, fasting is not just about food. Anything that you use to please yourself, to satisfy yourself, to give that up, is fasting. Food is usually the thing that's talked about because... It is the thing we long for the most. To satisfy our hunger. We can't go a matter of hours without being hungry. We can go a matter of hours without entertainment or intimacy with your spouse or, or whatever. But food. You can't go that long without food before you're reminded, Oh, i got to eat something. <laughs> That's why fa- fasting with food is the most obvious way to fast. Because it's the most routine, the most... Um, uh, intimate part of your life, as far as always there, always there, always part of you, always, always a need that needs to be satisfied. And I've and I've asked this question before too. Can't we do all you know these these points that are in front of you on that spread on <laughs> spreadsheet on that piece of paper? I've asked the question myself. Can't we do all of these things without fasting? Can't we seek the Lord in all these ways without fasting? Yes, the answer is yes. The answer is also. To a point, fasting takes you to a depth of devotion that you really can't know without fasting. And I know this from personal experience. You know, this is not, I'm not up here trying to be the Pharisee who is trying to appear spiritual and devoted. Because I've already said, I need to confess this too. Because I do not do this the way I feel like God wants us to do, according to Scripture. I have to repent in this. But at the times that I have fasted, I have known deeper devotion than I've ever known before. Is it because of the fact that you're not eating food? Not necessarily. But I do believe the Lord blesses it. I've always been blessed whenever I've done it. Whether it was because I was seeking guidance. I've done it before because I was just so... So uh, grieved over something that I've read in the Word of God that I just needed to know it more. I needed to understand it more. And I saw God bless that endeavor through fasting. Sin. I've done it because of sin. My sin and other people's sins. And I've seen God bless it. Perhaps in ways that He would not have acted had I not fasted. And perhaps there are things happening in your life that are not that things going on in your life where you're praying for something, but it's not, fa- but it's not happening. Like I'm not seeing any fruit. Well, maybe you should hear the Lord when he says, well, this type of thing can't be done without prayer and fasting. That's a real, that's a reality of the church. That's a reality of spiritual life. And we have the reformed tradition. It's all about grace through faith alone. It's all the internal stuff. And we get scared off by any, any mention that this external activity is going to bring grace from heaven because that sounds very... You know what it sounds like. <laughs> but here we say, this is something that Jesus did. This is something what His disciples have always done. What God's people have always done. We should not cast it off so easily just because it sounds dangerous. The Christian life is dangerous. If we're not in danger, if we don't take risks, then we're going We're going nowhere just like your investments. If you don't take risks from time to time, you're never going to see the big, the big uh, haul. As we devote ourselves to prayer, through fasting, sincerely seeking God, and one of these above matters, and if you do your own study on fasting, perhaps you'll find other categories. I, I didn't read through the entire Bible in this study, I did my, the best I can. <laughs> but as you, cert, perhaps you do your own study and you look through, you'll see other categories. But at least these ten or more things, you know, if you want to dissect these differently, you pray and fast over these things. You'll see your devotion to God expanding, deepening. You'll see God work in ways that perhaps He wouldn't have. Or hasn't. Yet. If none of this were true... Christians, for the last 2,000 years, would not have been doing it. But if you do a study of church history, you'll see, for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been doing this. This is not new. This is not some concept that has been gone for 2,000 years, and I'm just, you know, just this radical young fool, saying, we need to fast! No, the church has always done this. And I'm... Hopefully this sermon has shown you so far that I'm not saying that we need to do this because the church has always done it. I'm trying to found all this on Scripture first. I've shown you through Scripture where it's been done, why it's been done. And we can see that those reasons are not God now. It's not something that the Lord fulfilled when He died on the cross. Outside of the Day of Atonement. He fulfilled that on the cross. And we don't fast on the Day of Atonement according to the law because we're not under that anymore. But that would perhaps be the only thing that was fulfilled. But yet you still see the shell of sin, spiritual need, depravity, our owner, that of other people. Still reason to fast. And in Christ's teaching in Matthew chapter 6, we must see this. He said, when you fast, hey, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not, this is verses 17 to 18, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We see one here. The, one, the first thing that sticks in my head here is that you know God in the secret place of fasting. See, this is a, this is a room in our, in our house that we never go into, even though we know God is there. It's a secret place that we can walk into. And know Him. And experience Him. And live with Him. Abide with Him. It's Because it's a secret place that Jesus reveals to us. It's a secret place where God is. He's in the secret place of fasting. He's there. You can meet Him there. If you'll fast. But don't... Treat it like a secret place though. Otherwise God's not there. Because if it's not a secret place, then God's not there. It's kind of the opposite of the secret place as if you do this publicly. (laughs) That's the opposite of a secret place. Don't do it so that people can praise you and and see how devoted of a believer you are. Oh, look at all. I feel like every time I see them, they have the ashes on their forehead. And, you know, they're just miserable and hungry and complaining about how they haven't eaten for three days. That's not how we fast. Because if we're fasting in such a way, then it is no longer a secret place and you're no longer meeting with God. You're no longer seeing Him. You're no longer experiencing intimacy with God. You'll receive your reward. You'll get the adoration of people. But you will not know the intimacy of God. When, When we do fast, we have to let people know about it somehow so that they can know just how devoted I am. I just want to invite you and with me, because I need this too, I want to invite us all together to unlock that door to that room that we've never, perhaps never walked in. Maybe some of us have been there occasionally from time to time, but most of our lives perhaps that room has remained locked, that secret room where God's presence is. That nobody else knows about. I want to invite you to come with me. To enter into that room. Of fasting. So that we can know God better. So we can seek Him deeper. So we can devote ourselves more to Him. Because when we enter there, we're entering into the presence of God and He will transform us. That's what happens in the secret place. He will reward us, as Jesus says... Do not neglect it. It is not meant to be neglected. There are many, these things we can do without fasting. But just know the biblical teaching that the secret place of fasting is beautiful. And if you want to go in there, you'll see it. You'll see the beauty of it. But you won't see the beauty of it until you go in there. It may take, you know, this is something that's very odd to us. It may take a few attempts in order for it to not be weird. (laughs) Fasting seems so so religious. So pious. So non-reformed. It may take some time for it to not feel weird. But it's biblical. And I hope that I've been able to show you this today. And I hope that I've been able to attract you to this secret place through Scripture. Through what Jesus has spoken and through what many others have testified of. Let's go see its beauty together. Lord, I thank you for this for appealing to us through your Scripture, because you want to draw us in. But Lord, if we're going to receive of you, Lord, we must empty ourselves of ourselves. And perhaps that is just it. What fasting is, is the emptying of ourselves so that we may be filled with more of you. Lord, help us not to despise your teaching. And also let, let us not just take heed to the words of a man. Let us seek these things out to know truly what the will of the Lord is. And once we see your will, let us be of the mind to obey it. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.